Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Acts chapter 8 from the World English Bible. Saul was consenting to his death. A great persecution arose against the assembly which was in Jerusalem in that day. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and lamented greatly over him. But Saul ravaged the assembly, entering into every house and dragged both men and women off to prison. Therefore those who were scattered abroad went around preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. The multitudes listened with one accord to the things that were spoken by Philip when they heard and saw the signs which he did. For unclean spirits came out of many of those who had them. They came out, crying with a loud voice. Many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man, Simon by name, who used to practice sorcery in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, making himself out to be some great one, to whom they all listened, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is that great power of God. They listened to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching good news concerning God's kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself also believed. Being baptized, he continued with Philip. Seeing signs and great miracles occurring, he was amazed. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Christ Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that whomever I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart isn't right before God. Repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness, and ask God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the poison of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that none of the things which you have spoken happen to me. They, therefore, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the good news to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south to the way that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. He arose and went, and behold, there was a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was over all her treasure, who had come to Jerusalem to worship 
He was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit said to Philip, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? He said, How can I unless someone explains it to me? He begged Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he doesn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip, Who is the prophet talking about, about himself or about someone else? Philip opened his mouth and, beginning from this scripture, preached to him about Jesus. As they went on the way, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Behold, here is water. What is keeping me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stand still, and they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him any more, for he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. Passing through, he preached the good news to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. That is the end of chapter 8. In this chapter, we have a continuation of events after the murder, the martyrdom of Stephen, and it starts off by mentioning Saul again as having consented being agreeable to, approving of Stephen's death. Previously, it mentioned at the end of chapter 7 them laying their coats at his feet. Now, this same Saul will speak later as Paul about zeal without knowledge in Romans chapter 10, verse 2. And then also in Philippians 3, 6, he will talk about his law-based zeal that he used to persecute the church. So here, on some level, he seems to think that he is doing what God wanted, but he did not understand. And based on the way that God reprimanded him on the road to Damascus, he was being obtuse and stubborn about recognizing the truth. And so you could also use this as an example that good intentions don't count if not based on truth. In fact, they can be destructive. So those who were part of the assembly, the church, those who had repented and believed in the name of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem were scattered. Again, this is going to be to their advantage, not only to spread the gospel, but they and their descendants probably won't be there when Jerusalem is sacked. Not that they won't be killed in other places, but having the majority of believers stay in Jerusalem and get slaughtered would not have been so good for spreading the gospel. In a recent discussion we were having in our fellowship, someone brought up that the word scattered here can be taken both negatively and positively. First, there is an implication, a connotation of a bit of a mess being scattered, that the people, the Christians, are at the mercy of other forces. But there is also the implication of scattering seed to plant. Then there's one key line where it says that everyone was scattered except for the apostles. And that we will talk about what this means a little bit later. But first, mention in the chapter is made of burying and mourning for Stephen. Their grief is recognized in the scripture. And the fact that men and women are imprisoned is highlighted. It's not just men. Women are also being held to account here. 
Then the scripture highlights again the scattering, which we know from verse 1, at this point in time means into other regions of Judea and into Samaria, but not the apostles. So when it says in verse 5 that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, it seems to be talking about a Philip who isn't an apostle, not the Philip who is listed as one of the twelve, but probably the Philip mentioned in chapter 6, verse 5, right after Stephen. So first, we got the account of Stephen, and now we hear about Philip. The emphasis seems to be that once the message has been received in faith, that the Holy Spirit works through those people as well. The apostles had a special role, a particular witness, but they weren't the only ones God was working through in amazing ways. We are all one body, as Paul will say later, and we are all brothers or siblings as a holy priesthood, as Peter writes in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 5. So here was this Philip, one of the seven who was set to care for the widows, being a conduit of physical healing and casting out demons. And that's when we meet another Simon. This Simon is thoroughly described, and clearly not Simon Peter, who we'll speak to him later. This Simon was involved with sorcery, so evil spirits. He was probably responsible for some of the unclean spirits possessing or inhabiting other people that are getting removed at this point, and he was used to the limelight and to respect. Verse 13 states that Simon believed. The context is that he was born again, just like those mentioned as a group in the previous sentence. And even though he had wielded some power through sorcery, he is amazed at what Philip is doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Simon kept hanging around and watching. Next in the timeline, Peter and John do come at the sending, the other apostles send them. And recall that earlier, talking about other places in Acts, I mentioned this account is a bit different because the Holy Spirit didn't fall on them immediately. I suggested this is because of the history of Simon and all of the sorcery going on in that place, and that God wanted to make it clear who the Holy Spirit was and where that power originated. And I compared this how later the story, the account of Cornelius is given where the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius while Peter is still talking. They don't lay hands on them or anything. But here, both Simon's history and Simon's reaction are why I think this was the case with the Holy Spirit not being manifested right at first. And then Simon makes a grave error. He thinks he can buy this power. It's curious how both this error and the error of Ananias and Sapphira are centered on money. Ananias and Sapphira were pretending to give for building up their own reputation, but still keeping money. And Simon is trying to buy this power for both reputation and his own power. But God and his love and truth are not to be bought and sold. So much like there was the extreme repercussions for Ananias and Sapphira in the beginning, the birth of the church, here Peter's rebuke is very sharp. And I find myself wincing for Simon. The rebuke is scary. It also speaks of money as perishing. And Simon is told he cannot take part in this aspect of the church 
when his heart isn't right about these things. He is told to repent. Even though he has repented overall, he needs to turn away from this particular sin. Peter's phrase, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven, is a bit perplexing. I wonder if Peter is thinking both of the unforgivable sin, as man mentioned in Matthew 12, 31, of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and or the punishment of Ananias and Sapphira. So maybe not that Simon wouldn't be saved, but that he would die by the hand of God for this type of sin, like Ananias and Sapphira, as God is establishing his church. Now, looking at Vine's expository dictionary, bitterness here apparently means extreme wickedness or hatred, and iniquity is unrighteousness of heart and life. So Simon needed some sanctification, some deep cleaning in his life before he could safely fully participate in these things of the church. Some people try to say that Simon wasn't a true Christian, but the scripture doesn't say he claimed or appeared to believe. It says he believed. And they also construe Simon's request for Peter to pray for him as a weakness, again, somehow indicating that he didn't think he was saved. I rather think it is, one, a sign of humility and recognizing Peter as someone to look up to and representing God. Two, it is consistent with all believers praying for one another. That's talked about throughout the New Testament. And three, it is a sign of repenting of that particular wickedness, wickedness because he is being humble and he's having appropriate fear of consequences. So I think it's easy to feel self-righteous compared to Simon, but he is also similar to the thief on the cross. And if he can be saved, anyone can. If he has things to do to work at his salvation, so do we all. We all need to mature in Christ. And if he can, then we all can. Uh, nothing more is said about Simon. I know I would have liked a more obvious statement, seeing him mature safely later, but this is all that is recorded in Scripture. Instead, the narrative moves right on to Philip's spectacular experience with the Ethiopian eunuch. In the first part, Philip has to go to the desert, Gaza in particular. If Gaza sounds familiar to you, it should. The first time it's mentioned in the Bible is actually Genesis 10:19 in the Table of Nations, and it's listing where the sons of Ham, the Canaanites, were dispersed to. Gaza comes up again in Deuteronomy 2:23, and then in Joshua, notably chapter 11, verse 22, as a place the Anakim remained. Samson went to Gaza in Judges 16.21 after his downfall, and then Gaza is also one of the cities that is listed where the Philistines lived in 1 Samuel 16, and that's the account where they had captured the ark, but it was causing them a lot of trouble and they wanted desperately to return it. So Gaza has been on the map for quite a while. It is near the Mediterranean coast, about 60 miles southwest of Jerusalem quite a hike if Philip went on foot. He got spoken to directly by an angel. God is very good at getting the message out to those who are seeking him, and this Ethiopian eunuch would have tremendous influence when he returned home, most likely. It is interesting that the Spirit also then said to Philip to go up to this chariot. First, it was obviously extremely clear direction. 
I don't claim to know. I haven't experienced any such direct communication from the Holy Spirit, except possibly once in a dream that I won't go into now. But it is examples like this in the Bible that make me cringe when I hear some Christians speak casually about the Spirit said this or that. I think they are presumptuous, and I've only heard a few modern accounts that measure up to this standard. I also imagine Philip at first didn't want to presume to approach someone with such status. Philip was nobody of rank, but he responds to what the Holy Spirit said by running up. The eunuch's statement in verse 31 is used by some to say that, see, you need someone to explain the Bible to you, but that's not the context. First of all, we in our time period already have the New Testament from the apostles, etc., who wrote to clarify the prophecies in the Old Testament, and we are also told the Holy Spirit will teach us. The eunuch here needed an introduction to what had just occurred with Jesus, and also we get the benefit here of seeing the passage in Isaiah again validated as being about Jesus Christ. So again, God knew the eunuch was wanting to understand him better, that he was seeking the truth of the scriptures, much as Cornelius was seeking God, and we'll hear about that soon. And another evidence of how much the eunuch was seeking God is his immediate desire for baptism to proclaim his faith. Then it sure sounds like Philip was caught away right after the baptism was completed. How wild is that? The eunuch's response is to continue his trip with joy. He doesn't seem to be terribly distracted by the miracle at all. It's not the main point. And Philip is found at Azotus and just keeps preaching like all of this is now par for the course for him at that point. And on a side note, God certainly didn't have to rely on the limited transportation systems of the time to get his people around. This brings to mind other scriptures that remind us not to worry about anything. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 